If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, podcast friends. I am really proud of the podcast this week and all of you. And I just want to say thank you because I just checked my podcast stats and this podcast has well over 15,000 downloads since only being launched a few months ago. I'm sure if anyone from This American Life happens to be listening, it's probably not that impressive to you. That's probably like a drop in the bucket for one episode of yours. But for this little podcast that I just dreamed up a few months ago with no real advertising budget and obviously no radio placement, I'm pretty proud of it. And I'm really grateful to all of you for sharing it with your friends and colleagues and family. I get lots of emails from people who either want to let me know that they've like sent the podcast to their whole practice group or people who want to let me know that their family or friends sent the podcast to them, some of whom are lawyers, some of whom aren't. So I really appreciate you guys sharing it because word of mouth is always the best recommendation. And it just tells me that a lot of you are learning from this podcast and really changing your brains and sharing that ability with other people is, I think, the most amazing thing you can do. That's why I do what I do. And I also have some exciting news for those of you who are real podcast diehards. And that is I'm going to be launching a new podcast in October. So don't panic. I'm not giving up the lawyer stress solution anytime soon. Y'all are my original crew, but I'm going to be adding a new podcast because I want to talk about kind of brain problems that go beyond what lawyers experience. And I really want to expand on some of the themes that I see in my work with my clients that are so transformational that aren't necessarily all about law and law practice. So the podcast is going to be called Unfuck Your Brain, just like the program I'm working on. And it's going to be aimed at helping high-achieving women overcome social conditioning and their own self-critical brains so they can get the life they truly want. It's really everything that I've distilled from my own journey and going through that exact process and how to teach other people to do it. So I will keep you all posted once it launches. It's going to be a few weeks. We got to get it all set up and I have to record new content and all of that. But I'm just super excited about it. And since you all like to listen to my voice coming through your earphones, you seemed like you might be the kind of people who'd want to know about it too. All right. So today we are going to talk about two of my favorite concepts which really go together. And I went back and forth on what to name this episode, like whether to call it Be Your Own Best Client or whether to call it Your Self-Talk Soundtrack. And in the end, I went with the latter because I just thought it would be more obvious. But these things really go together. 
one of the things I really like to talk with my clients about is what would it mean to treat yourself like your own best client? As lawyers, we're trained to aggressively advocate for our clients, right? We fight for them in court. We bargain for them at the negotiating table. I mean, we go up against like pretty formidable, sometimes opposing counsel trying to protect their interests. Now, if you were negotiating a contract and the other side started off with a total lowball offer, right, that wouldn't be fair to your client, you wouldn't just say yes. You would counter offer. You drive as hard a bargain as you can because you know that it's your job to represent your client's interests aggressively and get them the best deal you can. That's what you're there for. But when it comes to ourselves, we often don't represent our own best interests, especially if we're women or people of color or we're LGBTQ identified or we're part of another marginalized group, right? We don't represent our own best interests. We're not our own best advocates. And that's for two reasons. I'm going to talk about each one. So first, some of us have a super self-critical soundtrack running in our brains, We're constantly evaluating ourselves and mostly finding ourselves wanting, right? No matter what we're doing during the day, there's like a running commentary going in our brains. Your idea in that meeting was stupid. You shouldn't have gotten that latte. It's fattening and you're wasting money. You were awkward in the elevator with that partner. You should have tried to impress her, right? It's an endless looping soundtrack that's updated minute to minute, cataloging all of our faults and failings. So it's no wonder that when it comes time to advocate for ourselves, We're not that great at it, right? As they say in sales, you can't sell your product if you don't believe in it. And if you don't believe in yourself, you're going to have a hard time selling yourself. And honestly, selling is a high bar. You're going to have a hard time even accurately communicating your own value if you don't believe in it. You can't advocate for your own interests when you don't believe that you deserve recognition or credit or advancement. And This is not sort of abstract or hypothetical, and it's not like, oh, women should be more confident as if there's some moral value to it, right? I'm just talking practical consequences. The practical consequences are huge, right? So you're not going to negotiate for a raise or a bonus, for instance, even when you deserve one. It's not even going to occur to you to do it. You're not even going to see the opportunities for it. For example, if you're listening to this and you work for a law firm, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me because... We have lockstep compensation and everyone, you know, makes the same. It doesn't matter. Well, that's sort of true and sort of not. We know that women lawyers make 77, I believe it is. I think it's 77. It might be 71. It's in the 70s. Cents on the dollar as male lawyers. So something is working out differently, right? And there's some anecdotal evidence from law firm compensation committees that when men rise up in the firm and they take on additional duties, like becoming a practice group leader, they're more likely to negotiate for additional compensation for those duties than women are, right? They see an opportunity where they are doing more and they believe in their own value, and so they ask to be compensated accordingly, whereas women are much less likely to do that. Or like another great example, I'm so obsessed with this example. (laughs) I was at the National Association of Women Lawyers conference maybe a week or two ago, and they were presenting their report on the state of women in the law. And somebody told the story about a woman in her firm who, you know, was having a baby. So she was going to come back at 80%. And normally what happens, we all know, is that women who have babies come back, they come back at 80%. They then work basically full time, right? But they only get paid 80% and they're not eligible for a bonus. And she came in and she went to the compensation committee and she said, listen, I'm coming in this year. I'm going to be at 80%. 
There are other people in the firm, and she was like able to name some who have been at, you know, 80% of their hours before. They haven't made their billables before. They've still been paid their full salary. Now, this year, we know I'm going to be at 80, but you're going to pay me my full salary because I'm committed to this firm and I'm staying here. And next year, I'm going to be back at 100. Right? That to me is such an amazing way to approach it. Right? When you think, when you're coming from a place of thinking, my work has value and I can see other places that other people have been given a little leeway and how can I advocate for myself the best of my ability, you're going to come up with an idea that would never occur to you if you just assume that you're not doing well enough and you don't deserve as much as everyone else. It's not just about money, right? You're also not going to fight for your ideas, even when they're good ones. This is a problem I really had in academia. When I first started my first academic fellowship, I hadn't yet found coaching or done all the kind of reading and writing and thinking that I did to create this work. And so I was like still just totally in my lawyer brain, <laughs> did not even know I was in it. And basically the minute anyone disagreed with me, I just assumed that they were right. Right. So I was writing academic papers. I was coming up with like theoretical arguments and new frameworks and proposals. I was like really deep in the case law and the statutes, right? I knew a lot about it. It didn't matter. I would tell someone my argument or they would read a draft. And especially if they were an older white dude, which they mostly were because they were law professors, I would just assume that if they said something that they were right and I had screwed up and I had missed something. And I think that's really common, right? A lot of us, especially women, operate that way. If someone else has an objection, we just assume that they're right. So we give up on our own insights before we should. And this is really relevant when you're an associate too, right? You are the one who did the draft of the memo. You're the one who knows the cases better. You're the one who's been immersed in the law better. And just because a partner has an idea or asks a question doesn't mean that you, all of a sudden they're the expert and you're wrong, right? But when your self-talk soundtrack is really critical and you're always thinking that you might screw up and you might be failing and you don't know as much as everyone else, you're just going to assume that any objection or any other idea is automatically right and yours is automatically wrong. And your work is going to be worse because sometimes you are right and you're going to give up too easily and your reputation is not going to be as strong as it could be, right? Or to give you a third example, when you don't believe you're worthy or capable, you're not going to network and build the relationships that you need to succeed. And like, that's not even, we're not even talking about what happens when you get to the point in your practice where you have to bring in business, right? To bring in business, you have to believe in yourself. You have to have a self-talk soundtrack that makes you feel confident and empowered networking and building relationships and asking for people's business. I mean, starting your own business, which is what I did, is a crash course in how you need to have a self-talk soundtrack that supports that kind of activity. Because if your thoughts are that you aren't doing a good job and people don't want what you have to offer and that you don't have something of value, right? of course you can never sell anything. So those are just a few examples, but you get the point, right? Having that self-critical soundtrack running in your head all the time will cripple every area of your work life. And your personal life, too, for that matter. Now, be really clear, it doesn't mean that you won't still do good work and even get praise from others, right? But it won't matter because you won't believe it. And if you don't believe in your own worth and abilities, you won't reach your potential. And whatever potential you do reach, you won't even recognize or enjoy. Right? Like, And I know this firsthand, too, right? My career from the outside looked super great, right? Like I went to Yale and then I went to Harvard and then I clerked on the federal appeals court and then I 
got the one reproductive rights litigation fellowship in the country my year. And then I got these academic fellowships that were very difficult to get. And I, you know, was accepted to multiples of them. Like from the outside, it totally looked like I was kicking ass. But it didn't matter because what was going on in my head was just a constant litany of all of my failings and how I wasn't worthy, right? This is where we see imposter syndrome. Like it was an accident. It was just because I made good connections. They're going to figure out I'm not really smart enough, right? And at the same time, because I didn't believe in myself, even though I was accomplishing a lot, that's what it looked like from the outside, it never felt like an accomplishment and it wasn't really my potential, right? I wasn't really reaching the potential I had because I didn't even know what that potential was because I was so busy thinking critically about myself. So whatever potential you do reach, you won't even recognize or enjoy it if you haven't changed your self-talk. And I know, you know, I'm talking a lot about this today because I've really been working on this idea of the self-talk soundtrack for the Unfuck Your Brain program that I'm creating right now. And I'm really starting to think that it's like the number one thing that makes a difference in your life. Learning how to record a better self-talk soundtrack on purpose so that you can go after what you want in life is really everything. (laughs) Like this shouldn't be surprising to me, obviously, because I talk about changing our thoughts all the time. But when I think back, my life really transformed when I started changing my own self-talk soundtrack. It's like I did a lot of thought work on my thoughts about other people and external things. And that was powerful work. My relationships got a lot better with my family and even friends. Like that was so super helpful. But things did not really sort of start to like accelerate and turn into like a rocket launch of changing my life. Like I didn't really start to blow my own mind until I started changing my own self-talk soundtrack, right? Until I started changing how I thought about what I looked like and my physical appearance and my body and how I interacted with people and how capable I was and what I deserved and what I was worthy of and how smart I was and what I could accomplish and achieve. Like that is what really took my life to a different level. And so that's one of the things I'm really going to be teaching the students in this course because I honestly think it is the key to getting anything you want. So your critical self-talk soundtrack is not a small thing, right? And it's one of the two things that really gets in the way of advocating for yourself the way you would for your best client. The other thing that gets in the way is the social conditioning that you've internalized, particularly the messages that tell you what women are supposed to be like. You know, you're supposed to be nice, you're supposed to be quiet, you're not supposed to be too aggressive, you're not supposed to seem too smart, you're supposed to be thin, you're supposed to care about other people's feelings, you're supposed to be humble, you're supposed to put yourself last, you're not supposed to take up too much space, you're not supposed to want too much, you're not supposed to think you're better than anyone else, you're not supposed to make other people uncomfortable, you don't want to seem too assertive, you shouldn't seem too confident. You should worry about pleasing men. You should care about losing male approval. The list goes on and on. I could probably record a whole podcast just listing these internalized principles. So on one level, all of this social bullshit does get integrated into your self-talk soundtrack in subtle ways that you might not even notice. But I talk about it separately from the soundtrack because for a lot of my clients, the major difference is that when it comes to kind of patriarchal or social conditioning, they really recognize it. Like they wish they didn't still believe it, but they do. Your self-talk soundtrack tends to just kind of blend into the background and you sort of believe it might be true more often because it just appears to you like it's thoughts about yourself that must be true if you're thinking them. 
right? Your self-talk soundtrack feels like it originates from inside of you. So you're more likely to believe it. It seems like it's just observations about you, right? Like your stomach is too big. You said a dumb thing at the meeting, right? Those just seem like they're just observations that are true about you. And you might even recognize that you're self-critical. Like if I ask you, do you have self-critical thoughts? You would say yes. But when push comes to shove, you believe most of the thoughts in the moment when they show up. When it comes to social conditioning, I think that more of us kind of recognize that those thoughts and fears originate, they come from outside of us. So like a lot of my clients will say things like, well, I know I shouldn't care about whether people like me, but I do, right? We tend to recognize that those thoughts are the product of social conditioning we've absorbed. Like we know that we were raised with these certain ideas of how women are supposed to be, and we can kind of recognize them as like alien thoughts that got put in our brains. And intellectually, we reject that conditioning. Like we see it. We don't believe or we don't want to believe that women should have to be quiet and nice and submissive. If you ask us that, we would say, of course, I don't think that. I don't believe that. But emotionally, we still fear being seen as bitchy or aggressive or rude, right? So we can recognize that some of those premises are coming in from the outside, that they are social conditioning, and we wish we didn't believe them and we wish we didn't care. But we still think them, and they still create this fear of being seen as bitchy or aggressive or rude, or, you know, violating any of those various principles that society has taught us. So we tone ourselves down, we backtrack, we apologize. And then sometimes we get the extra delight of then criticizing ourselves for doing those things, right? So then we're like, oh, I shouldn't have talked so much in that meeting, right? I probably seemed like I think too much myself. And then we think, well, that's just society telling me that women shouldn't, you know, speak their minds. Ugh, why do I still think that? I wish I didn't care, right? It turns into like a whole meta, a meta narrative and like criticizing ourselves for having those thoughts that we recognize aren't helpful. So we follow the internalized conditioning, but then we criticize ourselves for doing that as part of our self-talk soundtrack. So that is unpleasant and a lot of mental drama, right? And uses a lot of mental energy that you could really use on better things. But more importantly, following these social rules keeps you playing small. There is no earthly way to go after what you want. There is no earthly way to value your own time and emotional energy. There is no earthly way to tell your own truth without offending some people. Because the truth is you cannot control other people's thoughts about you. But social conditioning teaches you that you can control them and that you should try to. And that the price of acceptance and success is trying to control other people's opinions about you by acting according to society's rules. The thing is, though, that the kind of success you create by playing along with the rules of social conditioning, right, the kind of success you can create by playing small, by never taking credit, by putting yourself last, that is child's play compared to the kind of success you can create in your life by shaking off those shackles. And I don't just mean in your career, like, yes, 100% in your career, but in all the other areas too, right? What What is the quote-unquote success of a romantic relationship where you have played a game and played a role, right, and tried to follow the rules so that you wouldn't turn off men who don't want women who are too mouthy, right, or have too much to say or are too independent? What is the success of that relationship compared to what would it be like to be in a relationship where you can be unapologetically yourself 
and you don't follow any of those social rules and you find someone who likes that, right? What does that success look like? What does it look like to be successful in terms of your family life? Like what kind of parent or daughter are you if you follow all of those rules, no matter how it makes you feel inside, compared to what does it mean to be a successful mother or daughter or sister or friend when you are feel truly empowered to create the kind of relationship that you want with your child or with your parent or with your friend where you're not hiding and you aren't putting everyone else's needs in front of yours and you feel confident enough to ask for what you want and to show up the way you want, right? Any area of your life, what you can create by playing by those rules is so small and constrained compared to what you can create by learning how to take off those golden handcuffs. So you've got your critical self-talk soundtrack and you've got your social conditioning and these things really kind of combine to create this limiting force in all areas of your life. But to bring it back to your job as a lawyer, right, because that's what we're talking about here, when they're taken together, they mean that you don't represent yourself the way you would represent an important client. You don't put your own interests first and you don't advocate for yourself. You don't fight for your ideas. You don't prioritize your own interests. You don't believe in your own case. You play small. And let me say again, you know, I referred to this earlier, small has nothing to do with what you've achieved externally, right? I had all these external accomplishments and I was playing small the whole time because I didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe I could have the life I truly wanted. I thought I had to follow the rules, even the ones I hated and didn't believe should exist. And it wasn't until I learned how to change my self-talk soundtrack that I began to experience the success that comes when you do advocate for yourself as if you're your own best client, as if it's your job, it is your job to try to get what you want, right? Think about how different your life would be if you thought your job on this earth was to try to get what you want, the same way that you think your job at the office is to try to get what your client wants. So that's your assignment this week. I want you to treat yourself like your own best client. Don't just give up on your own ideas, your own desires, your own goals. Right? Don't bite your tongue. Pretend that you're your best client. What would you do to advance your best client's interests? That's what you need to do for yourself. Take yourself seriously the way you would take your best client's interests. Right? If there's a goal you want, make a plan to get it. Right? If there's a connection you want to make, go after it. Make it. What would you do if it was your job to get this thing done? That's what you need to do. So if you're thinking like, okay, sure, that sounds great, <laughs> right? Thanks, Gara. But how the hell do I do that when I feel anxious and insecure and crazy? I understand and I've got you. That's exactly what the work module of Unfuck Your Brain is going to be about. How to be your own best friend, your own best mentor, your own best advocate in your professional life. So if you want to get a sneak peek at the course before I open it to the public later this fall, you can go sign up. It's at www.thelawyerstresssolution.com backslash unfuck, just the way you think it'd be spelled, U-N-F-U-C-K. And it's obviously you're not signing up to register for the course. You're just signing up to get the information early because once I start to fill it, I'm going to go to the interest list first and I'm only going to open it to the public if there's any spots left after that. So... Go sign up for the interest list if that's something you're interested in. 
www.thelawyerstresssolution.com forward slash unfuck. And in the meantime, be your own best client this week and drop me a line and let me know how it goes. I'll talk to you all soon. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is my feminist coaching community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying all these concepts I teach to your own life and learning how to do thought work to blow your own mind. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will change your life even more. It's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change everything. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. Or you can just text your email address to 347-934-8861. If you text your email address to that number, we'll text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know about the clutch. 347-934-8861. Or again, just go online to www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I cannot wait to see you there.